Hello, folks. Welcome to the Genuinely Interested Podcast. My name is Roy Bensfi. I'm your host. And this week on the podcast, we have Kuntal Joysher. Kuntal is a vegan climber. He's summited Everest vegan, meaning vegan clothes, vegan food. He was, though not verified, um, I don't think there's any body, nor governmental or Guinness or any other body that, you know, verifies these things. But from some of the research done by different outlets, they are saying that he is the first vegan, again, with clothes, no leather, no down, all synthetic, and food-wise, no animal products, no dairy, no milk, no meat, no eggs, etc., etc. So all vegan, all good. And although Kuntal will be the first to say that a vegan diet is no other than any other diet, it's even potentially better. So there's no actual reason why being on a vegan diet would hinder or not allow him to summit Everest or any other mountain or compete for that matter in any other sport, just as well as anybody else. But because he is one of the few and kind of a trailblazer in that sense, um, there is a lot of media hype behind it and uh, good for him, you know, good for him for bringing that to the forefront, for speaking about it and getting publications to take notice and then putting stories out. I think that's important for people to hear stories like that and, and realize that that old notion of the weak uh, vegan that, you know, is frail and really doesn't have muscle and can't compete in high level sports is that's in the past. That's an old notion. It's an old stereotype. Nowadays, vegans are strong, healthy, um, good athletes that compete in the highest levels and all different types of sports. And there's a lot of documentaries, um, you know, that cover that, the, that story. I really enjoyed our conversation. You know, we talked about his journey. We talked about 2014 and 15 when two tragic events happened in Everest and the mindset that you have to have to come back in 2016 and still want to summit the mountain after everything that happened. I feel like mountaineering is 99% mental and 1% physical. Although I'm sure anybody that's summited will probably have a disagreement with me, but I'm just saying it's a lot of mental. You can have the best cardio, which you definitely should, and you have to do insane workouts and get in the best shape of your life. But there's just so much mental gymnastics that go into summiting a mountain like that. And I do feel like you have to have that that inner drive and just be determined and strong-willed in order to achieve that task. It's no small task. And even though Everest is not necessarily the hardest mountain in the world, it's definitely an enormous achievement to climb it. And yeah, so we talked about that. We talked about his journey to, you know, mountaineering. Uh, we talked about the unsung heroes of the mountain, the Sherpas, which without them, I don't think mountaineering in Everest or in potentially some of the other big 8,000 meter peaks would be possible. Their abilities to pitch a tent, make food, uh, put the gear up, uh, ladders, ropes to make sure the Western um, mountaineers are safe is second to none. There's there's no one on the planet that can really compare with them. Their 
abilities are they're they're kind of supermen and uh we actually discussed it would be very interesting to to do a, a scientific uh study research to see why they are so good at elevation but they're just absolutely amazing and i don't think they get the recognition that they should and i again without them i'm assuming that only the elite of the elite of mountaineers would be able to climb everest i think the ceo that puts down a hundred thousand dollars and maybe a year or six months of training before he comes to everest um, if the sherpas weren't there he wouldn't be there either uh, it would be left only for the the tippity top the, the the very best in the game so i'm sure everyone that enjoys mountaineering and comes to everest and the himalayas uh, definitely appreciates them but i do think they need to get more praise and more recognition worldwide. Guys, if you like the episode, like the podcast, please uh, subscribe, rate, review. More importantly, share it with your friends and family. You know, there is so many different episodes with so many different guests on so many different topics that I'm sure you'll find ones that that you love and that your uh, friends and family will love as well. So we really appreciate it. You know, we're steadily growing the podcast and we just... We want to get it to as many people as possible. So thank you so much for listening. And without further ado, here is this week's guest, Gunta Joysher. Enjoy the podcast. The Genuinely Interested Podcast. Hey, Gunta, how you doing? Good, how about yourself? Good, man. Thanks for uh, taking the time and coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yes, finally. Happy to be here uh, after last week's, uh, you know, mess up. So uh, happy to be here. Yeah, you'd be surprised, man. I, I don't know if um, maybe it's maybe because I'm not sure if um, the program links directly to Google or whatever the reason is. But I've had a few people that, you know, kind of forgot last minute. but. It always works out, so it's fine. Yes, yes. Just uh, for me, it's just that my calendar never really, like, even though I'm such a technology person, but calendar never works and it doesn't remind me. And then there's so much happening. There's a baby at home and she's taking all my time. And then suddenly you realize, shit, I had a podcast. And then you're like, okay, it is what <laughs> it is. Yeah, man. Baby changes the equation. Once you have a baby, yeah, time is different. Uh, priorities become different. Everything changes. I mean, I haven't seen, like, I don't see TV anyway, but I do follow up on Netflix a bit. But I haven't seen Netflix, like, almost feel forever. Like, since the baby has come, <laughs> I, I barely train. I barely do anything. I think my life just revolves around the baby. So, But, but it's, it's a pretty fun experience. So I'm not complaining. Yeah. Um, so how is uh, India now with um, with Corona? Is it still on lockdown? Uh, I mean, I think the country is opening up quite a bit, uh, but the cases are skyrocketing every passing day. So it's like on one end, you, you want to open the economy, you want uh, people to start sort of earning money and, and get on with their lives. But at the same time, we have what, 60, 70,000 cases happening every day. So it's like such a such a bummer, but 
and and everyone's trying to figure out i mean every country is trying to figure out and and it's so new for most of us that for me uh, as an engineer i can sit at home and i can work from home and i don't need to step out so my thinking is why unnecessarily take that risk why go out it's not like uh, i'm missing out on anything and i don't want to contribute to the problem as well uh, if i can sit at home and i can earn the money and i can get on with my life i would rather do that at least for 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 a bit until we have things under decent i, I would not say control but if the if the situation is a lot better where cases are lesser and 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 things are becoming better i don't want to stress the system so that's my sort of mindset yeah i mean that's smart i think we all everyone wants 2020 to end already 2020 has just been <laughs> horrible it's just like all right let's get but i don't know what's waiting you know on the other side i don't, I don't think 2021 is magically going to be 100 times better i think uh it's going to be a process and it's going to take a little bit of time until we get some sort of a vaccine and then until they start dispensing it, I don't know who they're going to dispense it to first and how long that's going to take and until they have millions and millions of vaccines available for people. I mean, this thing's going to take a little bit of extra time. And now with the fall and winter coming in a couple of months, you're going to probably see a second wave in a lot of countries, if not most of them. So, uh, we're, you know, we're headed to some uh, unknown, unknown, uncharted waters. Yep, yep, yep. And... That's why uh, my my actions as an individual is that just stay put, hunker down, uh, be patient as much as possible. Uh, I mean, I've seen this happen to me so many times in the mountains, not the COVID situation, but getting maybe stuck in a snowstorm, getting hit by an avalanche, and then having to sort of just be patient and having to recover from that situation, uh, maybe wait a year, maybe even more. So it's not something i mean it's it's tough it's tough being in 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 your home and constantly uh, not even be able to go outdoors because for me i have a baby at home i have a mother who's 70 year old and and both of them are vulnerable so yeah i don't want to go get covid and then give it to them so it's as you rightly pointed out it's so new for everyone i'm just going to wait it out uh, and as you rightly pointed out i'm going to wait it out until the vaccine happens and and whenever i get it again the mountains are not running away anywhere neither is my life running away anywhere this 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 break is also giving me time to spend with my family and with my baby so i'm not complaining at all as as someone who's privileged someone who has a roof on his head food on the table and clothing to wear I, it, this is something that i'm i'm perfectly fine waiting out yeah it's a good outlook i are i mean is i don't know if if mountains are i guess open isn't the right word but are you know are there treks being done in the mountains right now or everything's completely shut down i think if you are a like for example in india we have the himalaya so if you are someone who's possibly a local in the himalaya like you are living maybe in a himalayan state and maybe you have access to the himalaya uh, i think as a local possibly you can go hike go into the mountains no one's really stopping you uh, so that is definitely happening uh, mountains near my home uh, i think they are it's sort of like really confusing because you really they are all two three hours away from my home so you need some transportation 
uh, all the public transportation is shut down so you have to have your own vehicle yeah. and then the mountains are always at the start of the mountains there are always mountain communities so these are small villages and then us going from cities into the communities and possibly we are asymptomatic and give them the infection i am like okay those guys don't have access to any medical facilities they are far away from there and and if something goes wrong in their communities it would be a disaster so yes treks are open and i have seen some pictures of people going and trekking but i am not i'm not very enthusiastic about it i'm not very happy about it so i'm i'm going to sit tight and i'm going to wait until the winters uh and see how things go um, and then take a call but for now i'm i'm not ha- trekking uh i'm happy being indoors and and training indoors yeah so maybe talk a little bit about what you were doing before you mountaineer how did that how did this passion come about you know what was that process as i mentioned earlier that i uh, am an engineer i'm a software engineer and uh, i think all my life uh, i have always wanted to be an engineer this was back in my 8th grade when i discovered my love for technology when computers were size of like my entire table and yeah. had 512 mb floppy drive so i think we have come a long way from there but uh, uh, It, it, my passion started out with uh, technology and then i went and did my engineering did my masters in the united states i lived in los angeles for about 4 years and i think it's in los angeles where i sort of caught this uh, idea about fitness uh, i still remember that day i was sitting in my cubicle and then my boss walked in uh, i was 25 back then and my boss was 55 but my boss was this guy who was a crazy cyclist so he had his uh, road bike on his shoulders and he was walking in with his flat you know like abs and and like really toned body and i'm like this guy is 55 and i am 25 and i am like obese and he's like in the best shape of his life yeah and i got inspired i told him hey i i really want to buy a cycle today and we right away got down we bought a cycle for the next 2 years i cycled like crazy like that it it became a part of my body until uh, a a bad accident happened and and since then i've never cycled again um maybe i should go back and cycle again um but yeah i think that was like initial sort of uh, exposure to uh, fitness but i came back to mumbai to take care of my parents uh, my father uh, was a dementia patient so i wanted to be his primary caregiver so i came back to mumbai and then i got married and life happened and and you know just i got busy and uh it it was a chance trip into the mountains believe me i i i never I, i'm someone coming from a community where people if they have to climb one floor they would take an elevator <laughs> so uh in terms of genetics Uh, they were totally stacked against me I, yeah. I, there was no way i was going to become a mountaineer and uh, it was just a chance trip we went into the mountains on a vacation we were tourists and uh, on the last day we ended up hiking uh, and that too we didn't plan for a hike it was just something that happened by chance and i i remember that moment when i was standing on the on the top of that small peak it was an 11000 feet peak 
uh, it took about four hours for us to hike to the top and that moment changed my life it it, it was so quiet so peaceful on that top that i could literally hear my own heartbeat like do do for a moment i was so freaking scared that i thought my wife could actually hear my heartbeat i mean i was like just my heart was blowing out like it was it, it was an insane experience and um, and and i truly felt alive and i truly felt some deep happiness that day uh, and i think it was at i think feelings are temporary so of course the feeling would have gone away very quickly and uh a, but what was important was that state of mind where i was able to focus on the present and i was able to live in the present and i was able to enjoy in the present and i really uh, appreciated that state of mind that i was able to achieve uh without the use of alcohol or drugs and and i i really thought that that was amazing and i i wanted to feel like that for the rest of my life and i thought that i'm so passionate about technology maybe when i go and build something i will feel like this now that i have felt like this uh unfortunately technology never gave me this kind of satisfaction or this kind of uh, uh state of mind and i decided to venture back into the mountains again on on a very short weekend trip and the moment i did that i achieved the same state of mind and and i kept going back into the mountains over and over and over again and every time i was into the mountains this is exactly how i felt and even till date it has been 10 years and people kept telling me you will get bored you will grow out of it but nothing has changed even the smallest one hour trip into the outdoors or the mountains makes me feel alive and and i'm i'm glad that uh, i took the took this risk and went on this journey and everest was just something that happened along the way anyone who's into the world of mountains will at some point want to see everest or think about everest it's not like i wanted to climb everest or anything for me it was just more about hey i want to see the tallest mountain of the world i want to see the top of the world i want to go That's on that so journey iconic. sorry it's just so iconic it it is so iconic it, and and all these stories about sherpa tenzing and sir edmund hillary and climbing yeah. hillary step and and being the first human it always fascinated me even as a teenager so i was like let's do it man and and i, I went to everest base camp and uh, and i remember that that first sunset that i saw on everest uh, it was it was absolutely magical you know everest is surrounded by gigantic peaks uh, by you know noopse by lodse by lola on one side and then then there's tons of peaks around in the range but when the sunset happens every peak is like black gray blue in color and everest is like in the middle burning golden in color it's like completely stands out from every other peak and when i saw everest that way for me it, that evening of october 2010 i was like this is it this is my dream this is what i'm going to do do for at least next few years and and i promised myself standing there at that point that i will climb everest and and i will stand on top of the world someday uh so that's where how sort of the journey kick started and journey like how i like like this guy who was a software engineer 110 kilos super unhealthy and um, all 
was a vegan and so so much you know so many self doubts so much going on in my mind but took the first step and and went on the journey and yeah that's all, all how it started is is it daunting like standing there looking at this massive piece of rock and saying to yourself i'm going to get to the top that must be just convincing yourself must be at least half the half the work you know the first time i looked at the top of everest from really far the first time you actually see everest is from your walk from jorsale to namche bazar and through the through the trees there is like a small triangle uh, in which if the weather is clear you can see like the top of everest when i saw everest for the first time i was like man this is almost as good as reaching the moon if i'm not going to ever reach the moon i'm never going to reach everest it almost seemed impossible but you know it, i know that so many people have climbed everest uh, and and so it was that was sort of uh, a factor that said okay uh, look this this person was just just like me but they they went on a journey where they worked hard where they trained where they built experience and and this was a journey they went on and they were able to then go and reach the top of everest and and i can also do that and that's what sort of i went on the journey it was not like hey i'm sitting on a couch hey i want to climb everest i have the money let's go climb everest and and that that is definitely an approach and a lot of people do that but i did not want to do that i wanted to um i wanted to use this as a journey as more of a self exploratory more of a self betterment journey so that's what i did yeah and i mean as far as cardio and i mean correct me if i'm wrong but you could do all the best training the best cardio you can run you can prepare you can do everything but at the end of the day you get to a certain point where there's just very little oxygen and it's just down to sheer determination willpower the 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 strength you have in your mind and because your body and and cardio it, i feel like it just goes out the window at a at a certain point right um in part that is true and in part um here's how i'm going to put it across mm-hmm. i think the cardio that you are going to do and it is going to be tons and tons of cardio like for i think the amount of cardio i've done in 10 years is something uh i have spent countless hours doing cardio and uh, of course i have also done other kinds of training but that cardio also is the foundation of all the training and on top of that foundation is uh, it is what you are going to build your skyscraper uh, your your cardio combined with uh, learning all the skills to become a reliable and a safe mountaineer i think that's what the foundation to any uh, mountaineering journey is on top of that you are going to do a build a lot of experience by climbing in wide variety of situations wide variety of mountains with wide variety of people and and that's going to help all the combination is going to help you eventually build that mental fitness but as you rightly pointed out when you are at 8800 meters and there is literally no oxygen out there uh and and yes you are using supplementary oxygen but believe me that really does not help at that altitude as much as a lot of people will make you believe that it does help i actually did not think that it helped at all uh, it almost is like a placebo at that point uh you really are depend you are digging down in the in like the deepest reserves in your mind and 
you are falling back on all of those and it's that those last bits i think uh, what differentiates people who actually make it out alive and in good shape is that they have those reserves in in, in a lot uh, it, it, there's a lot of reserves and people who end up dying uh, they have actually used up those reserves quite a bit and then they simply do not have anything more to give and they end up just sitting there sleeping there and getting a cardiac arrest and dying of course there's a lot of physical things also going on in your body but but we 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 hardly have any idea what uh, mind is capable of or what mind can uh, do with the body or what mind can instruct the body and then body can do it and, and a lot of this definitely comes to fore when you are higher up the mountain yeah so let's let's go back a little bit if if we can <clears throat> excuse me in 2014 um you were there when the avalanche uh happened and uh, i believe it was 17 chirpers that died and then the following year 2015 you were part of another massive avalanche um i think but then i think this was an an earthquake that that happened in the region right and so two things one if you could tell us about those stories individually and then after that i i have a follow up question sure so 2014 was the first time so i was like climbing everest so i had just found a sponsorship and and uh, i had reached the base camp and things were going great i had i had really trained well for the last 3 3 and half years uh, my expedition leader was really really uh, like very confident in my skills uh, things went smoothly for the first 8 9 days while we were at the base camp and then uh, on april 18th uh, early morning we heard the news of uh, an ice avalanche happening in the khumbu icefall areas and like it instantly killed about 16 to 17 sherpa guides and my initial reaction was yeah you know people die on the mountain what the heck i'm going to go climbing and it, it was sort of a reaction of someone who was just a self absorbed selfish mountaineer and mountaineers are selfish people and i'm still till date a selfish person i have no sort of qualms in saying that and i will explain later on why i'm saying that uh but um at that point i like sort of thought why should the climbing stop like there was a lot of talk about why like like stop the climbing and this and that but i think what changed my mind was when my sherpa team uh they had uh, escaped the accident by about 10 minutes and they were inside my dining tent uh and they were talking to us and our lead sherpa guide a 27 year old guy with 11 summits of everest one of the youngest sirdars in the everest circuit with so much experience uh i i knew him as this you know like dashing sherpa with so much confidence like he could literally run up everest that kind of a guy and he was profusely crying like he was crying like a baby and all he could think of was what would have happened if like he had seen death up close in that ice avalanche they were like really close to dying and to survive that and come out of it but also see all his brothers and and his uh, friends and and uncles die in that accident i think had shook him up and he said if i had died who would have taken care of my father my parents my wife my kids and 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 his assessment was that the mountain is still unsafe and he really did not 
see any uh, merit in going back up that route and climbing uh, that mountain through the route and finding a different route that year was simply not possible kumbu icefall route has been something that was found f- and has been same for 20 years you can't suddenly in the middle of the season say i'm going to find a new route and install ladders and make it as safe as it has been for the last 20 years doesn't work that way and that's when sort of the Uh, gravity of the situation hit me and i realized that man i'm this is beyond uh, this is stupidity on my part to be to want to go and climb the mountain when someone who's climbed the mountain 11 times is saying no and and i think that was also a point where i grew as a mountaineer and also grew as a human being where i started uh, also getting in touch with the human side of things and rather than just be self absorbed by my climbs uh So I said, okay, I can wait one inconsequential year, and I'll come back and climb in 2015. What the heck? It's it's no no problem. Uh, so went back, came back in 2015. This year things went a little better. We made a little more progress. I was able to go higher up the mountain, understand how climbing on Everest would happen. By then, I had already climbed an 8,000 meter mountain in Mount Manaslu, which is the fourth, uh, which is the eighth highest mountain in the world. so i had a fair bit of experience I had a fair bit of understanding of what to expect uh and then the earthquake uh, hit nepal on april 25th and um, i still remember that moment very distinctly we were in the dining tent we had all run out we were standing on the glacier i remember every team like i could see in all directions all everyone was outside the tent and everyone was like maybe you know chit chatting talking to each other a little tentative and uh, the earthquake stopped and then we heard this loud boom almost like a bomb blast that happened somewhere and we right away knew that an avalanche was coming our way except we had no idea which direction it was coming from because there had a low fog had set in at the base camp not a fog but like a sort of a cloud cover had set in at the base camp and the voice of the boom was coming from everest side which is on the east so we were all standing and looking towards the east um then i saw these people running towards east running towards everest and i'm like are these people mad why would someone run towards the danger and 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 then everyone is running towards the east and then when that's when i realized that actually the danger is behind us so i turned around and still remember gigantic avalanche in front of us like from left of the sky to the right of the sky the entire sky was filled up with snow and ice it was almost like a snow and ice tsunami coming towards us except the tsunami waves were not 11 12 meters but they were the size of the entire sky so that is what was facing us and uh, my mind just blanked out completely and like sort of in that moment i told i said all my player prayers and i was like this is it it's not as if i'm i it's not as if i think that i'm going to die i am very certain i'm going to die in this moment in this moment so we hit behind a tent uh, the avalanche hit uh, it hit us hard and um, luckily i i mean i was expecting that i would be buried under maybe what one maybe 1 meter of snow and that would become concrete in no time and i would like just die out of uh, not being able to breathe but 10 seconds later like my body had about couple of inches of snow and and all that was happening was i was struggling to breathe uh, and um, i and i realized that i'm going to make it out alive out of this 
but that struggle for breathe breathing was like really uh, i mean it was real initially i thought it was just panic but then i i would try sucking in air but nothing was coming in this guy next to me a german mountaineer yost kabush uh, yost became really you know he has been doing some crazy climbs last year he was on everest climbing everest in winter through some of the toughest uh, you know through one of the toughest routes um but like he opened his jacket and he said kuntal you can come inside my jacket and breathe uh, inside his jacket there would still be ambient pockets of air so he had that presence of mind he was himself breathing inside his jacket and so even i was going inside his jacket and breathing uh uh i think it took about 2 minutes for the avalanche to pass over us it was mostly the after portion of the avalanche so we were really lucky that uh, we didn't end up like getting hit by it like really hard but i think 21 people died at the base camp uh, these were all trauma injuries because they were closer to the after portion of the avalanche and they just got flung like half a kilometer kilometer inside the snow field wow. they died really badly and people like about 100 injured with injuries where they had gotten hit by rocks and and all sorts of things on their faces and their arms and their legs and uh we had a satellite phone so we were able to make a call to kathmandu to sort of report the avalanche report the earthquake see what was going on in kathmandu and we quickly realized that what we had faced was nothing kathmandu had started reporting some 10000 people dead mass scale destruction of property where like half a million people were displaced from their homes this time i i knew this was not an everest tragedy this was this was a proper tragedy of humanity it was a humanitarian tragedy of unprecedented levels essentially and as as someone who had been following everest scene for so long and been part of the scene i knew that if we continue climbing and something goes wrong on the mountain then entire world's focus becomes everest no one will really care about nepal or what is happening in nepal and truly speaking the focus of the world had to be nepal and rebuilding of nepal and it would be it would be almost like suicide to climb everest in that time because aftershocks were continuing to happen avalanches small avalanches were continuing to happen higher up the mountain why would you even go and try to climb everest in that kind of a situation so me and my sherpa uh, leader uh, both of us came to a conclusion that we should cancel our expedition and we should turn around uh, it took a little bit of convincing for the team because some of them uh, were desperate uh, and so we were able to convince everyone cancel our expedition similarly everyone at the base camp canceled their expeditions uh, i think that year no climbing happened anywhere in the nepal himalaya indian himalaya uh, in in tibet uh, in the spring season at least no climbing happened everyone turned around everyone went home it, it, it didn't make any sense to go climbing so yeah those were the uh, sort of two years that uh, uh, my first two attempts at climbing everest i mean that's kind of insane if you think about it your first two are just some horrific incidents that happen and i mean at no point do you say to yourself you know what maybe this isn't for me maybe i'm not supposed to do this i mean look what's happened consecutively year after year maybe i'm not supposed to climb everest is that creeping in your mind at some point i think it didn't creep in my mind but it creeped in mind of a lot of my friends and a lot of my family members and a lot of relatives like 
people were saying it's not for you stop climbing everest everest is giving you some indication Yeah. and uh, maybe you just don't have what it takes to climb this mountain because some of them didn't understand what was happening on the mountain they didn't understand that these things were beyond my control they were like you spent what 50000 and you are back you spent 50000 again and you are back like what are you doing with your life you what's happening and they they're not looking at internals of what happened on the mountain or those kind of things my my wife and my mother were worried because they had seen um, from 2015 a video went viral on the internet uh, that yost had shot uh, and and i prominently featured in that video and and they had seen that happen they had seen what had happened in that avalanche so they were really uh, worried that what would happen if i died on the mountain and rightly so uh, they would be worried about me um, but to me i think the way i was thinking is i have all the momentum on my side i have been training so hard and this is the biggest dream of my life i i simply cannot give up and considering that i came out of a near death experience uh i think every moment from that point onwards i consider it as a bonus in my life because i i had already said my prayers and i was ready to die back then so to come out alive of that i think it it was almost a rebirth sort of thing for me and i was like i'm not wasting any time any opportunities and so if i can manage the funds uh, i am definitely going to train hard and i'm going to keep um, 2016 as a target and uh, i think there's no point listening to other people or there's no point letting negative thoughts creep into your mind and and i'm not saying that uh, uh, they didn't but um, i have sort of trained myself in so many years in in such a way that i think once those thoughts sort of come in i just process them and i just like i'm no no uh, yes uh, there is a slight chance i could die on the mountain or, or something could go wrong or maybe i should not go but no uh, the the feeling to go climb everest is so overpowering or was so overpowering over every single aspect of my life that nothing made a dent in uh, my uh, sort of going to uh, wanting to go back and climb that mountain it, it, it had almost become like an obsession uh, i think it was beyond obsession at that point and and i remember in 2016 when i went back i don't think there were many people at the base camp who were coming back for the third time i think there were what like about 10 people 10 people like me who had come back for this for the third time um uh, so yeah a, yes negative thoughts do come sometimes but i just have a way of processing them and not uh, sort of uh, like you know getting carried away by them yeah i always say you know there's so many ways that people die uh from uh lightning strikes to falling in the tub to getting hit by a car to accidents to just there's just so many ways right and you could literally die any any moment right but at least if you're doing what you love there's a fulfillment there's some sort of a a reason to be and i just feel like i obviously it is dangerous and there are but you know there are risks they're definitely real risks um especially in in these type of locations but 
man, I I don't think if you, you know, it's it's tough because this is one of those things we'll never be able to answer. But I think if you take back all the people that have died in in the mountains and ask them, like, would you change your life? I I think the majority of them would say no. I think the majority of them would would say that, you know, at least they died doing what they loved. But that's uh, that's my two cents. So in 2016, when you summited, um, were you you were vegan then, correct? Indeed, I I was a dietary vegan. Uh, uh, and 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 by when I say dietary vegan, I I, I mean that all the food that I was eating uh, off the mountain and on the mountain uh, was vegan food. And and I have been a vegan for the last eighteen years. So so in that sense, I have been a vegan for a very long time. Uh, and and saying dietary vegan specifically because veganism is not just about the Correct. food that yeah. we eat. Uh, it is about every single choice that we make, including the gear we wear, uh, including uh, like the toothpaste I use, including, uh, I mean, everything, a- every single aspect, at least practically as much as uh, possible. Yeah. Uh, we are trying to minimize animal cruelty. So the gear that I was using in 2016, at least a couple of pieces of that gear, uh, especially the suit that I was wearing on the summit of Everest. Uh, there's a one-piece suit that is a very critical piece of gear. And then there are your mittens that also save your fingers and your uh, uh, from from cold and frostbite. Uh, both of these pieces uh, consisted of uh, down feathers and uh, leather. So these were the two things that were non-vegan items in my 2016 ascent of Everest. I see. So, but in 2016, were you technically the first vegan to summit Everest or is that, or, or, or you don't know? So the first vegan question is, is a very tricky question because first of all, uh, no government or no authority like uh, is actually keeping track of what people are eating on the mountain and, yeah. and are really keeping track of records around, uh, hey, this is the first vegan who climbed Everest. And most people sort of think of uh, veganism as a diet, whereas I don't consider veganism as a diet. So they are thinking, oh, you climbed Everest without eating meat and, and without eating eggs and, and that sort of thing. So it's really tricky to sort of figure out who's the first vegan in the world to climb Everest or whether I am the first vegan in the world to climb Everest. Uh, what I know is that there's a German magazine called Das Vegan. Uh, uh, they put me on the cover of their magazine as the first vegan to climb Everest. And there have been a couple of claims before me uh, of people who have climbed Everest as as claiming as a vegan and I think the magazine uh, writer, because it was a feature and the cover story, and this is a pretty big magazine with a pretty big reach, they actually investigated every single claim. And according to them, uh, I had the strongest claim. Uh, I don't know what uh, uh, they were basing their uh, sort of claim uh, on. But my assumption is that uh, that a vegan is someone who has been a vegan possibly for a while so that they have trained and they have built their fitness uh, on a vegan diet uh, on, on on a vegan lifestyle that they are eating vegan food off the mountain and on the mountain as well uh, and that they have made the best effort possible to ensure that they are eating vegan food uh, all the time uh, 
a lot of people just assume that certain foods are vegan and i know of a lot of vegan mountaineers who just go and you know order a certain thing and expect that that's going to be vegan and they eat it and they never actually cross check it or double check it or talk to the chef and and do their due diligence uh whereas i had spent almost 6 7 years training the chefs ensuring that everything that i was being fed on the mountain and even while on my on the trail was vegan uh i had ensured all of that was taken care of i had ensured all my food was fine tuned all the way to the top and i had also made a serious uh a sort of effort at finding vegan gear for everything like i was able to replace practically every single non vegan item that is out there with a vegan alternative except the two pieces so i i don't know uh, i don't even want to make a claim that i'm the first vegan in the in the world to climb everest but uh, i think that's what uh, sort of i got for a sense from the german magazine that put me on the cover uh, but coming to your point i don't even really think i care whether i'm the first vegan in the world to climb everest to me it was just important to climb everest as a vegan to demonstrate to everyone that it can be done because when in 2010 i made everest as my dream i could hardly find anything around veganism and mountaineering so i wanted to go out and i wanted to prove the world that vegan diet works vegan gear works and vegan lifestyle works and if i can climb everest which is i would not say it's the toughest mountain in the world or something it is definitely the tallest mountain in the world and it's a pretty 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 committed and a very difficult feat to achieve and if i could do that as a vegan then uh, i could sort of tell people that hey look vegan diet works vegan gear works like nothing happened to me i climbed it really really well uh the first vegan in the world uh, it, it is good in a way because because it gives me publicity and it allows me to talk about veganism that's all i really care about when it comes to first vegan in the world otherwise i could care less like yeah climbing everest is was the biggest dream of my life and climbing everest as a vegan was the biggest dream of my life i achieved that that is what really matters to me so what do i mean i guess it's not that's the thing i feel like being vegan and climbing a mountain shouldn't even be a thing right it's just the probably the difficulties of attaining some of the food that, that is necessary for you to climb it's probably not as prevalent there cuz most people just eat whatever is there but you know being vegan is it, it it's just like anything else it's just like a person that eats quote unquote a regular diet there's no you know there's a few years back i remember i saw um an article i think it was the washington post and it said women trying to prove vegans can do anything among four dead on mount everest which you know it's it's kind of like the media trying to dunk on vegans and a i think it's horrific to try to make fun of someone that died uh that's kind of cruel but on the other hand you know now you have there's this forever there was this narrative that vegans are weak and that they're they're frail and they can't do certain things but now you have bodybuilders you have NFL players NBA players UFC fighters mountaineers i mean it's just it's it's in every aspect and some of these guys are even performing better than their uh peers so i i when i say vegans is normal it's just it's just a normal thing it should it's almost shouldn't even be a thing it's just it's just another diet that's all it is It, it, 
completely agree with you and that is what i would like to see happen uh, unfortunately that's not how it's happening uh, in 2010 when i sort of even just shared the idea that i will be climbing everest as a vegan uh, there was this you know whole bunch of pushback that hey how are you going to build stamina hey how are you going to build endurance how are you going to stay warm on the mountain without uh, eating cheese or without eating meat or without wearing down feathers without wearing leather mm-hmm. and i'm like whoa why what's the problem and they're like look everyone around you like for example in india uh, the five top mountaineering institutes where you can go and learn mountaineering uh, whenever a student goes to one of these institutes they are actually forced to eat not forced but they are recommended to eat meat and eggs so you can imagine uh, how prevalent the notion that mountaineering requires animal products is is so to me uh, it just sort of meant that i have to like no chip on the shoulder or anything but i wanted to prove all of these guys wrong i wanted to or more than i want not proving them wrong but i wanted to prove that if a guy like me with genetics completely stacked against him can train can work hard can build the right experience and can go ev- climb everest on a vegan diet look there's no problem there okay vegan diet is just a diet Uh, it's just a lifestyle and if you plan it well and if you do it well there is no problem at the end of the day when people say that you have to eat meat i think what they really mean is you have to eat protein when they say you have to eat cheese they really mean you need to eat healthy fats or you need to eat fats and everyone in this world knows that you get energy from carbs and 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 vegan world is full of carbs so it's just concept of eating a very well balanced and a very you know well planned vegan diet comprising of carbs proteins and fats and proper micronutrients which you can always get from supplementing or even from the food so it, to me it was like hey these all people think that this is a problem all i need to do is i need to go and climb it and make it a little more normal and this will only happen once many many more people start going and climbing mountains as a vegan and and demonstrating that hey this is normal like how it's happening with other sports there are still very few mountaineers in the high altitude world who are on a vegan diet uh, but of course the number is growing and and i just hope that it will continue growing uh, as we go in the future Yeah. So I mean what what is your diet? What do you eat uh when you're in the mountains? Just the rough See, in the mountain in the mountains it's at the end of the day it's all about calories. Uh once you are higher up the mountain, once you are even at base camp which is at about 18,500 feet, your calorie requirements are out of the roof. Just at rest, uh your your maintenance calorie requirements would easily be about 3,500 to 4,000 calories. So you really just need to eat a lot of food and uh, some i mean people also argue that vegan food is less calorie dense uh, and so you have to eat a lot more but a lot of these people have no idea about the vegan food that's why they are saying they are like hey you know what if you eat a big block of cheese or if you eat you know this meat and then you will get a lot of calories and i'm like sure you can also find equivalent alternatives or uh, other amazing things in the vegan world that you can eat and get calorie uh, calories from that so 
I have never had a problem ever in my last 10 years of mountaineering to find vegan food first of all and to find enough vegan food and find enough calories from the food I, that has not been that has been the least of my concerns um vegan food can be as unhealthy as non vegan food and people just don't know that so you can go and you can find things like oreo cookies and and this whole bunch of stuff like cashews and almonds and and a whole bunch of calorie dense snacks that you could really just eat on the mountain and uh, uh and and you know make up your calorie requirements i'm not saying that that is what you would only eat yeah. but if you're really worried about your calorie requirements there's a whole bunch of stuff that you can actually eat um uh, so on the mountain at the base camp and at one of the higher camps where there's a proper kitchen i tend to eat a very well balanced diet again uh, maybe about 40% or maybe 50% from carbs then about 25% from protein and maybe 25% from fats so maybe sometimes i'll increase the fat in fat intake and maybe even the protein intake so maybe it will be 40 30 30 something like that uh and um, you know mixture of foods uh mixture of whole grains uh uh rice um uh, whole bunch of vegetables uh, vegetables that are easily available of course uh potatoes are really famous in the khumbu valley and potatoes are also great calories great carbs so potatoes make a big part of my diet especially french fries make a big part of my diet when i am on the mountain i will not touch french fries when i am training at sea level like in in last 4 months i have not eaten a single piece of deep fried snack uh, really and so i will never do that uh, but once i am on the mountain i will end up eating a lot of deep fried food um so yeah um but again as i said like for example typically a lunch plate would consist of uh, four or five pieces of uh, indian bread uh, then a big bowl of curry a big bowl of lentils and then on the side a big bowl of vegetables so this could be you know a typical uh, lunch that i would uh, eat um and you know a snack could be uh, a protein bar that i have taken from your or a meal bar that i have taken from your uh or a meal replacement powder that i have taken from your so that could be a typical snack or you know a lot of dried fruits a lot of dried nuts uh those kind of things uh dinner could be something like a spaghetti with a lot of vegetables some fake meat on the top so again making just you know really balanced meals uh, throughout the day and making them uh the, the easiest way uh is to increase the portion sizes and that way you just get uh, more calories Uh, in your body and i think one thing that most mountaineers that i have seen struggle with is that they simply are not able to eat a lot of food on the mountain uh because as you uh, go higher up the mountain um your body is starting to conserve oxygen for the brain and the heart and consequently your digestive system has lesser access to oxygen uh, and the digestion is sluggish which means your brain is not getting a signal that you really want to eat more but i sort of make it a habit to overeat one or two months before the expedition uh, begins so even when i'm at sea level i'm eating 4000 calories in a day even though i don't really need them oh, and wow. so i'm in, in i'm in a habit of overeating and the second technique that i use is that i eat very fast before people even look at their plate my meal is finished <laughs> so I, i i can even i can then eat a second portion that big and so those are the sort of techniques that i have used uh, on the mountain to just 
uh, load myself with calories but this only works at the base camp so most climbers spend a lot of time at the base camp so i just ensure that when i'm at the base camp i'm just like eating a lot of calories and then as we start going higher up i'm simply not able to eat that, that many calories uh, but most other climbers that i see they are just eating way more, way less calories than i am uh, so that's something that i've noted uh, and those are the two tip, tips that you know i would like to sort of give any mountaineers listening into this eat fast and uh, uh, train for overeating before you come on the mountain yeah you can be a competitive uh, eater at the end of it <laughs> <laughs> get those like 27 hot dogs tuck, 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 just eat i mean I, i mean you uh, i know of a guy who lost 40 pounds on the mountain you could literally see bones of his ribs popping out Yeah that has never happened to me ever on a single climb really? on the contrary if i go on a climb then i will come back to my original weight so let's say if one month before the climb when i start my overeating i was 80 kilos and then at the end of overeating i am about 84 kilos then when i come back home i am just 80 kilos so i'm back to my original weight i'm never like those people who lose like 40 50 pounds on the mountain and there are so many of them they just yeah. don't have any energy when it comes to the final days and they're That's struggling what they usually look like at the end like you'll always see the guys they always look dilapidated like 20 pounds less like they're cutting weight for like a MMA fight they just <laughs> look like you know the hollow in the eyes it's 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 crazy and that has never happened to me though that's good you know it, it, when you know mountaineers and I, i've climbed like a few small mountains 14ers and stuff and you know always when you, when you talk to people it's people who love nature and you know it's almost by default like you go into the mountains because you love them so naturally you love the environment and you want to preserve it but do you think a lot of them do not make the connection between uh veganism and environmentalism i don't think i haven't met a single person who has made the connection uh i'm saying on the mountains of course outside of mountains i have met so many who have made the connection but on the mountains no i think they will do everything they will like segregate their waste and they will not use straws and and then they will do whole like you know they'll say i'm not going to use plastic and then i go and tell them but here's here's a choice that you can make where you will make a far bigger and a far more tangible impact right away and they're just not willing to listen to it and um, it, it's shocking it's shocking like like once you go vegan uh, I think every single meal you are going to make a big difference. Of course, as a vegan also you could be eating an avocado that is growing in in Peru and then you are getting that avocado in India that's not a smart thing to do. So, uh, you also have to be smart as a vegan try and eat more local foods and and uh, you know do those kind of things. Uh, but again, at least start with a, a plant-based diet and that is going to make a huge impact already. uh i am trying hard i am trying to sort of make people aware and everest has seen some terrible effects of global warming uh i remember going to everest in 2010 for the first time and seeing the entire glacier uh, outside of khumbu icefall and significant portions of that glacier has disappeared today and it's all rocky today rocky areas where they are now setting up campsites and people are seeing this across the board in the himalaya everywhere and i keep telling them you love everest so much you should be you, you should be able to make this connection that it's happening because of global warming it's happening because of climate change 
yes there's trash on everest and if we put lesser trash on everest locally it will make a difference but do you think this is a local phenomenon that is causing so much glaciers to recede it has to be a global phenomenon that is causing so much receding of the glaciers to happen but i don't think most people are still making a connection no they're people, not i think people believe in what they see right when they see videos or pictures of of um uh tortoise swimming in 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 uh, the galapagos and there's like um uh plastic thing around his his um right right you know around his face or around his body they're like oh that's horrible or they see plastic straws in um some sort of uh gyre up out in the pacific that's horrible but when they see tangible things when they see cars spewing out carbon that's horrible but when it's not as visible when it's like you have to make the connection in your head and you have to listen to the science and people are telling you that the carbon emissions and methane emissions coming from the meat industry is worse than the the whole traffic you know from from cars to right. planes to right. boats to everything together then it's a little harder for people to make that connection it's not a tangible thing it's not right in front of them and it's not a visible thing like like the cars or like the plastic pollution and it's just very comfortable for them to ignore that on top of that they would have to change their lifestyle their diets they, right. just, they just don't want to do that right 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 but but i think i think it's changing uh, as a it lot is. of top climbers for example alex honnold who yeah. you know one of one of the like like once in a century rock climber yeah, and he's now so passionate about uh, environmentalism and and you know plant based eating and talking about it constantly and so many of them are now doing it so many of them are now raising awareness and i think this is what is required where some of these top climbers start raising awareness and being those role models uh, and 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 hopefully uh, with a culture shift and with a culture change people will be more Uh, open to listening to these uh, concepts and bringing them about in their life so yeah i i am also going to constantly talk about it constantly raise awareness about it and i constantly keep doing that so uh, that's what that's the activism that i'm going to do that's awesome man let's um you know let's just touch on the sherpas because we we talked you talked about them a little bit earlier but i feel like they're the unsung heroes of the mountains i mean what they do their achievements there on the mountain are just unbelievable the you know w- when you look at uh, like some of the top climbers in the world whoever they are and the achievements they've done they're usually you know it's nothing compared to what these sherpas are doing on a on a on a yearly basis some of them have i don't know how many but it's tens of summits right and and they're carrying so much um of of the other people's equipment and they're carrying things to make it easier for the climbers to make it safer for them but i don't feel like they get as much attention as as, as and the glory of some of the western climbers that come in and summit um i have now been in nepal climbing in nepal for 10 years with sherpa people with sherpa guides with the sherpa community believe me you know even the above average sherpa is far 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 superior to some of the best climbers in the world and and no disrespect to some of the best climbers in the world those sherpas don't even have the kind of training that those best climbers in the world have or the kind of access to tools money and lifestyle those sherpas have nothing 
in spite of all of that they are far far superior athletes i mean I, oh, i'll give you an example I, i have this really dear friend his name is mingma temba sherpa he is my personal sherpa mingma tenji sherpa's elder brother and if you see mingma temba sherpa walking on on the road you'd feel he's just an obese guy okay he's he's literally an obese guy okay when he comes on the mountain however tough the terrain is however steep the terrain is however technical the terrain is and however new the terrain is he just flies he flies and he disappears before like if i put my head down and i put my head up in that much time he's already disappeared jesus and and he's carrying far more load than i can even carry in the wildest dreams of my life like i know of sherpas who have done who have gone from camp 2 to camp 4 while carrying 85 kgs on their back back 85 kgs of oxygen wow they go from camp 2 to, to camp 4 dump all that oxygen make a tent come back down on the same day by afternoon since even if one top climber in the world can do that i will give you my next paycheck i have that much confidence that no top climber in the world can even pull that off none of the top climbers simply have that capability of lifting that kind of load performing under that kind of stress getting to the top making food for someone pitching a tent and then coming back down not a single climber in the world can do this and and it's shocking that the sherpas are not getting their due uh i truly believe that they i think they are superman i think they are superhuman they I, i think they i i think they are from mars if, if you if you <laughs> ask me i think they they are genetically just simply superior than us i think they are they are a different species altogether in that sense and and some of like like even my sherpa mingma tenji who is my brother who is my father who is my mother who is my friend who is my everything when i am on the mountain he is my home away from home and i have seen that guy walk on the mountain i don't know of any other climber in this world any western any european any indian climber who can bloody even compete with this guy he is just he is at 8300 meters he does not have a oxygen on his body he not only pitches one tent but he pitches five tents and he has 50 kilos on his back i don't see any human being on this world who can do this apart from sherpas i just i just don't know who can do stuff like this and i have repeatedly seen sherpas from so many teams do this kind of stuff all the time as if it's for a routine for them like when i'm with mingma Mingma is at home at 8300 meters and I am like I'm dying. Yeah. That's the kind of difference between me and Mingma or or a typical climber and a Sherpa. They are at home and we are just miserable. Has someone done any 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 scientific study? I mean, have have, have they done research into is it because maybe they've been in this region for so long and they're used to the altitude and their body has adapted or do they have some genetic thing that has mutated over time like i i'm just i'm curious if someone you know if, if scientists researchers have just gone there and just studied their bodies put them through some tests to see like why why are they so special at the specific thing i think there's been one study if i'm not wrong i think they have done study where they have differentiated between the high altitude sherpas and then uh, and the and the and the high altitude porters in the andes 
and uh, and the study was essentially how uh, oxygen carrying capacity is is completely uh, work the, the mechanism is completely different for the sherpas and is completely different for andy andy's people so it's almost like how evolution for both of those people has ha- happened in a completely different way i think it's something like uh sherpa people have just a bigger lung and and, and, a, and a better oxygen carrying capacity and something in andes people living there have just better blood saturation or something just completely different ways of making it work uh so of course uh, genetically they are different than us uh, but i don't think like a serious study has happened on like on a, on a wider scale imagine yeah. like bringing in in like thousands of sherpas climbing everest and then then doing year long studies and figuring out what actually gives them that you know superior performance and then trying to sort of figure that out and even possibly something that we can try doing i don't know to you know get maybe some level of that performance not maybe like them but I mean, or maybe to you know like learn from them and try and make maybe make some pharmaceutical medicines that can help cure some diseases at sea level i don't know something you never know and whenever you do research you know stuff comes up and you don't know what that could help or sometimes it's inadvertent you know it's not the conclusion you were looking for but something else comes up so i mean it's just a fascinating research to do so these guys are they're the top of the food chain when it comes to climbing. So I'm surprised, you know, no, yeah, no yeah. research has, uh, has, has been done. I don't know. Yeah. 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 I, I, I hope that, I, I mean, a lot of research happens. Like last year I was on the mountain and I know that there was this team that was doing research uh, about altitude sickness, uh, but they were all doing it on us. Uh, yeah. And, and, and rightly so, because Sherpas don't get altitude sick. So, I mean, they do get altitude sick don't want to uh, trivialize altitude sickness uh, but they they get rarely altitude sick compared to us uh, but i i would really re- it would be amazing to see a study done on sherpas and see why they are they're so superior even if they are not physically as fit as we are yeah so kuntal take i mean taking into account covid right now but you know just i guess if you had to take a high level view of just you know broad future plans what 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 does it look like for you do you want to are there specific mountains you want to climb uh do you want to climb all 14 mountains that are over 8000 meters do you want to climb different continents you know what what are the plans so at the moment um i mean 10 years of just back to back to back to back climbing and or either working or either just caretaking my father mm-hmm. i just never got time to step back and look at my fitness uh, look at my nutrition and sometimes you're also in this mindset that if something is working why tinker with it uh, but with with this with this long break and uh, and long break from training and from away from the mountains i sort of took a step back and said that hey uh, I, i would like to do something in future uh, once the situation is a lot better and that is seven summits which is climbing the seven tallest mountains on the seven continents yeah I have already done three continents. My next continent is Northern America. So I'll be climbing Denali in May of 2021 if things are in good shape by then. Uh, and what I decided to do right now is that I have actually completely redone my nutrition. So I'm completely taking a different direction in terms of my nutrition. And I'm taking a completely different direction in terms of my training. And uh, 
hopefully maybe later in this year december or january things will be slightly better in bombay that i can maybe venture out into the mountains uh, in the local mountains the ones that are one to hour away from my home and test out what i'm doing uh, in terms of my training and in terms of my nutrition and hopefully it will be hopefully it will validate the direction i'm taking and then go climb denali with that um, that fitness and nutrition and and the new and what i like to call kuntal 2.0 that i am trying to work on mm-hmm. uh, so i hope that experiment uh, works out uh, my true dream would have been to climb the 14 8000ers uh, the only problem is that five of them are in pakistan and um, oh, okay. and india and pakistan as you know are some yeah. of the best friends in the world yeah <laughs> uh, so i somehow don't see how we are going to become friends in this lifetime um and uh, that's a never say never yeah if magically india and pakistan become friends and and pakistan opens up for climbing for indians then uh, i would love to go and uh, climb 14 8000ers uh, that would be like the biggest dream of my life so i can pull that off are indians not allowed in pakistan to climb it they're not by is that like the the law or is it just uh you know is it just is it just dangerous all the five mountains are in disputed territory india claims that territory to be its own okay if india allows a climber from india pakistan would definitely issue me permit if i write to pakistan right now saying hey i am a climber from india i want to climb k2 they would say come we will issue your permit if india allows me to go and climb that mountain india is officially acceding that land to pakistan which is which will never happen india will never officially say that that land is pakistan uh, for all practical purposes there's a pakistan government there there's pakistan administration there and it's pakistan uh, it's just that it's disputed territory uh, which is why we will never be able to climb k2 or g1 g2 or broad peak uh, i think nanga parbat is possibly outside of uh, disputed territory but the nanga parbat is in really really difficult zone and and imagine an indian climber in pakistan it would make for maybe a kidnapping attempt or you know like a big leverage yeah. so do i want to risk that i'm already risking climbing a mountain and then do i want to risk this additional thing um no, no, no. not really no you don't want that yeah it sucks that politics is um always gets in the way of, of of some of these things you know it's uh we've put these arbitrary lines on different places and from this mountain or from that river it's this people and that country and yep. they don't like <laughs> the other people in the other country but the land itself it doesn't care you know it's just arbitrary <laughs> lines that we humans have put up so it's unfortunate yeah yeah i totally agree with that i i wish i could live in a borderless world and and where people just people are not bothered about this nonsense you know yeah. shitty topics yeah that I just wish, divide us more than anything i wish we could all just be nice to each other that would be great yes. you know that's it's simple just be nice to everyone it's just just be a nice good person and let everyone do what they want as long as they don't hurt anybody and uh you know and we could get along let the animals roam let uh you know just just be good just be nice simple yep, yep. yep. <laughs> all right man well kuntal i want to thank you so much uh, i i had a blast i love talking mountains and nature and veganism so thank you so much i really appreciate it um where can people find you on on uh, on social media 
आई एम सुपर एक्टिव ऑन इंस्टाग्राम सो पीपल कैन फॉलो मी ऑन इंस्टाग्राम इट्स कुंतल जे के यू एन टी एल जे and if they search for kuntal joysha there's just one in the world so they will only find me um, and same with facebook uh, kuntal joysha so if they just search for me very active on instagram and facebook uh, i think that would be the best way to connect with me awesome and i'll put the links in in the show notes so it makes it a little bit easier for people to find you and yeah man thanks again for coming on the podcast i, I had a blast thank you so much thank you so much for having me thank you all right bye bye